Morning to you guys that are online. So good to see you guys today. We're talking about seasons, kicking off a whole new series that I'm really, really pumped about. I'm actually in the process of writing a book on this subject. Hopefully it'll be out by Christmas time and we'll be able to unpack this and you can share it with other people. But for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about seasons of life. So uh, let me... Let me just ask you, what's your favorite season? How many of you love the fall of the year? What's your favorite season? Got a few hands. Boo, got some yays, boos. I mean, come on, guys. It's, it, you know, it's just it's pleasant weather during the day. It's, you know, it's, the leaves are starting to change, all kind of beautiful stuff going on. But then, of course, there's uh, hayweed and allergies and hurricanes and stuff like that. Oh, so, so how about spring? How, how, spring's your favorite. Come on, spring. Come on, guys. Let me hear for spring, spring of the year, you know, new life, new flowers. Uh, but then there's afternoon thunderstorms and lightning and strong winds that knock trees down and uh, maybe not spring. Uh, how about summer? Summer. I love summer. You love summer? Yeah. Vacations and golf and beach and hot and muggy and gnats. I've lived away from North Carolina long enough. I forgot about gnats. Lord Jesus, why did that? Gnats are part of the fall of the, the curse. I know they are. They got to be. Oh, so it's got to be winter, right? I love winter. Bundling up, warm fire, you know, all that really cool stuff in wintertime. But then there's got the, the whole half an inch of snow shuts the world down stuff. So, so what's your favorite season? I don't know. We're going to be talking about seasons as we go through the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, and, and here's the simple bottom line truth. Life is not one long, consistent continuum. It ebbs and flows like the tides, like the cycle of the moon. We all go through seasons. We all go through cycles in life. It's, it's how God set things up from the very beginning of time. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, the Living Bible paraphrase says, as long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. Now, we know that as it relates to, to weather kind of stuff, but it's true for our lives too. Song of Solomon, uh, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes late in his life, having learned an awful lot of life lessons and, and some cynicism that had set in late in his life and just learning the stuff of life. But there's some principles from Ecclesiastes that I want us to pull out today. So if you got your Bible, you want to flip to that, we'll be there. You can also follow along with, uh, with, the, with the Bible app. Go to Events, Bridge Church, Princeton. All the scriptures will be there. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes. But here's what he says. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity of life. Seasons are a fact of life. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> Not just in weather, but in human beings as well. Now, here's what I need you to understand Seasons are an essential part of life, too. Kim and I lived in Baguio City, Philippines for almost nine years, and it is 72 degrees all year round. And people say, wouldn't that be so wonderful? Actually, it gets really boring after a while. You want some cold weather. You know, don't your ants? I mean, you want some cold weather. You want some hot weather. It's not warm enough to go swimming. It's not cold enough for winter sports. Yeah, after a while, you just want some seasons. One of the things I love about North Carolina is you have those things. But in, in the plant world, plants, uh, seeds get planted and germinate in one season. They grow in another season. They get harvested in another season. They go dormant for another season. That's, that's the essential nature and cycle of life, both for plants and for people. And so we're going to invest our fall season learning some principles from Scripture that will help us know more about that week by week by week. We're going to look at 
a different season of life that is common, I would say, to all of us, certainly to most of us. Uh, We're going to look at things like a season of loneliness. What does the Bible say about dealing with that season of loneliness, a season of waiting? We all love to wait. Can I get an amen in the house? Not a single one, no doubt. Uh, there's a season of self-doubt, seasons we go through where we just, we just kind of lost it. Uh, uh, that's a huge one for me, and I'll talk to you a little bit about that on that Sunday, a season of temptation. Temptation's a reality of all of our lives, but there are seasons when it really is preeminent for us. What do we do when we get into those seasons? What do you do when you find yourself in a season of failure? So we're going to get real practical, nuts and bolts. We're going to look at biblical characters who faced every one of those seasons and what they did to not only break through them, but to actually turn those seasons into stepping stones for the next level that God had planned for them. And in the process, we're going to learn how to go to the H&L in our own lives too. If you want the manuscripts, go to info at bridgechurch.cc. We'll be sure to get them for you. And if you post anything on social media, use hashtag seasons of life, okay? Today, I really just want to get us thinking. I want to kind of get our wheels turning, kind of prepare us uh, for for the series. In fact, if if you ever take notes, today would be a day two. If you never take notes, today would be a day two. Because these are the principles. I just want to teach you uh, four questions that you need to ask whatever season you happen to find yourself in. Four questions that cut across all kinds of seasons uh, and, and because we're going to apply those week by week throughout the series. So I would at least want you to write those four questions down and start pondering them. But first, I, very quickly, as quickly as I can, I'm going to give you four basic biblical truths uh, about seasons, just four consistent truths about seasons. Let's get into it. Five truths, and then I'm going to give you four questions, and then I'm going to send you on your way, okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Thank you for saying yes. I, and nothing else to talk about today except how's it going uh, if we didn't. Let's get into it. Truth number one, you tell me if it's true. Most seasons are beyond my control. Is it true? Yeah. You ever made plans to do something and something happened and your, change, your plans changed completely and you had no control over what happened? Sure. It happens to all of us. How many of your parents? Any parents in the house? God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. I see that hand. Did your life and lifestyle change when you found out you were expecting? When the baby was born, did it change? Did it affect your schedule? Did it affect your finances? Did it affect your lifestyle? Did it affect your social life? Did it affect your love life? You don't have to answer that. Just (laughs) pretend you're the only one that it didn't affect your love life, okay? I still remember my oldest son when he was expecting his first child. I was at his house kind of preparing his house for the arrival of of what is now little Andy, Andy Jr. And he said, kind of musing out loud, he said, you know, Dad, when the baby gets here, it's going to affect everything. And I went, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Now, your seasons may be different. You may not be in the infant season or the child-rearing season of life, but the principles are the same, whether we're talking about uh, seasons of parenting or whatever, or any season, the point is, worrying about the season that you're in, stressing over the season that you're in, will not change it. It simply will prevent you from growing through it. Do I need to say that again? Worrying about the season that you're in will not change it. It will simply prevent you from growing through it because you ain't got no control over the seasons. Now, here's the good news. Ready for some good news? Daniel 2.21, NIV, God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. You may not be in control 
but God is. You may think the world's gone crazy. God knows exactly what's going on. And everything is working toward that day that everything is going to come under the headship of Jesus Christ. He said it was going to happen, and it's happening. God is still in control. God never sees a headline. Come on. God never sees a headline and says, oh, Lord. I mean, oh, me. I mean, he just never says that. What am I going to do about that? I mean, he's just never surprised because he knows and he's guiding everything to that point of the culmination of history. Truth number one is seasons are out of my control. Truth number two, my seasons are often confusing. Most seasons are often confusing. Is that true? You ever been in a season uh, when all you can think about is, what in the world is going on? What? Why, why is this happening? What, how, what, how long is this going to last? I mean, just the confusion begins to come. Hear me, guys. Understanding usually comes after the season. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And so we oftentimes don't know, we don't have explanation uh, while we're going through the season. And let me just throw this in for free. You don't have to put any extra in the offering for, for getting this little tidbit. But... Uh, I need to warn you, there are some things you will not have explanation for this side of eternity. Some things you'll get to heaven and you'll go, oh man, why didn't I see that before? You're just not going to get it on this side. But, but here's the harsh truth, hard for some of you. God doesn't owe you an explanation. He didn't say that the, the just shall live by explanation. He said the just shall live by faith. He doesn't want us to trust him because he explained it to us. He wants us to trust him because we believe him. That's what Solomon finally learned late in life, Ecclesiastes 3:11 from the North Carolina version, uh, New Century version, sorry. God does everything just right and on time. God does everything just right and on time. My timetable is usually wrong. God's never is. Amen. But people can never completely understand what he's doing. Amen. The season you're in may be confusing to you, but it's not to God. He sees the entire season from the beginning to the end. Ready for truth number three? We're going to go through these quickly because I want to get into the questions. Truth number three is God wants to bring good out of every season you're ever in. God wants to bring good out of every season, where it's a sad season or a glad season, a lonely season, or, or a season of success or a season of want. He wants to bring good out of it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all that happens to us is working for our good. What's the word? If. Remember we talked in the last series about promise, premise? God gives us promises, but there's always a premise to the promise. And, and here's another one of those if-then kind of things. God works everything. He makes everything happen in such a way that it works out to our good. If what? We love God and are fitting into his plan. Simply put, life is not a series of random, chaotic events, as the world would have you believe. God has created this incredible system. It's part of his amazing genius where we get freedom of choice, but we don't get freedom from the consequences of our choices. That's just the way it works. And so choices have consequences, and we make a choice, we get a consequence. And the only way he can change that is if he takes our choice away. 
right? He makes us robots. And so he gives us free will so we can make choices, but he loves us, so what does he do? Rather than take our choices away to make sure we always make good ones, what does he do? Even when we make bad ones, if we love him and are fitting into his plan, we love his plan, what's he doing? He finds a way to work even the wrong choices into that pattern for good just because we love him and he loves us. How does he do that? I don't know. He's God. I'm not. I just know it's true. And as I look back over my life, I could give you example after example after example of how God does that. No matter how dark or difficult the season you happen to be in right now feels, as Pastor Andy said in the opening of of our service, God is bigger than your problem and he will work it into a pattern for good somehow if I love and trust him. Now that's very different. That's the exact opposite of the philosophy of the world. Now I'm going to show my age a little bit, but I think some of you will know this. I grew up in the age of Ray Stevens. How many of you remember Ray Stevens? Come on. Ray said, well, a bunch of you do. Ray Stevens. Some of you young people say, Ray who? What? Stephen who? What? What? Everything is beautiful in its own way. Isn't that a cool song? You used to love that song? I got a deeply theological expression for that song. There ain't nothing true about that. Cancer is not beautiful. Child abuse is not beautiful. Abortion is not beautiful. Here's the truth. Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's put thoughts of the forever in man's mind, yet man cannot understand the work God has done from the beginning to the end. I dare say many of you have gone through, are going through a season right now where you're saying there ain't nothing beautiful about this mess I'm going through. We just finished the series on living financially free, and you look at your finances, and all you can think is ugly, <laughs> right? That's just the reality. You look at your health. You just got the report from your doctor, and everything in that report is just ugly. You look at where you are in your career, where you thought you'd be in your career, and the only thing you'd think is ugly. If you look at your marriage, and uh, let's just not even go there. Let's just move on. You can't see anything beautiful in those things, and a pop psychology optimist will come along and say something like, oh, you don't have a problem. You have an opportunity waiting to happen. I want to just smack those guys. Let me show you an opportunity. Give you an opportunity for a black eye. That's That's my flesh. That's not Bible. Okay, just make sure we're clear. (laughs) Everything isn't beautiful. Can I get an amen? amen? But God will make beautiful things out of whatever you're going through if you will recognize this is a season and there's a purpose for the season that I'm going through. They're likely out of your control, but they're not at his. They likely are confusing to you. He is not confused. And no matter how dark, he will make beautiful things out of it if you give him the opportunity. As a gentleman, he won't force that on you. But if you'll let him, he will bring beautiful things out of it. Truth number four, you ready? Every season actually includes good and bad times. It's easy when we get into a dark season to start thinking everything's falling apart. To start thinking, man, I'm just, uh, 
I'm just going to hide until the season is over. I'm going to bury my face in a pillow, and I'm not coming out till the season is over. Maybe the next season will be better. But again, that's not the truth. That's Satan trying to get you to isolate yourself from the help that's available to you. When you find yourself doing that, that's a lie of the devil, guys, because every season has both good and bad in it. Here's what Solomon said. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Familiar passage. Songs have been written, secular songs written out of this passage. Everything on earth has its special season. There is a time to be born and a time to die, right? There's a time to plant and a time to pull up plants. I always get that, that one confused, um, especially when I'm on my lawnmower. I mean, just kind of, why did you cut my rose bush down? Well, it looked dead to me. I thought it needed mowing down. I mean, I've gotten in a lot of trouble over the years because I get that one confused. A time to cry and a time to laugh. Have you figured out yet that we don't just cry at funerals and laugh at comedies? That we do both at both? It's just true. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather them. Kim and I bought a place when we moved back to Goldsboro had a bunch of little rocks about that big all over the yard I couldn't mow the yard don't know why they were there we spent hours and hours and hours picking up rocks and piling them up and now we're working on drainage around the property and we're bringing rocks in to create drainage opportunities it's, you know it's just what same property same season but both are going on it makes sense a time to hug and a time not to hug that's the only time I'm going to say I'm not sure the Bible knows what it's talking about because it is always time for a hug can I get an amen Time to look for something and a time to stop looking. Kim and I lived in Hampton Roads, Virginia for 25 years, and, and we, we worked a lot with the Coast Guard search and rescue people, and they used to say the hardest part of a search process was you come to that moment that you know it's time to call the search off. Maybe one more hour, maybe one more pass, maybe one more, you know, they know the statistics of the odds of finding them within a period of time, but, but it's the hardest time. But there is a time to look and there's a time to stop looking, a time to keep things and a time to throw things away. Have you, have you figured out yet that there are two kinds of people in the world? There are throwers and there are hoarders. And they are married to each other. Is this true? I mean, I want to hold on to that. And she wants to throw it away. I was, I want to throw it away, and she's saying, oh, we might need that. You never know. I mean, some of you want to go home and start cleaning right now while your wife is working at Bridge Kids in the second hour. That's what you want to do. What you don't know is that last night she went and rented a storage unit, and she's moving stuff into that storage unit while you were away. That's just that's reality. Time to be silent, time to speak. That would be now I'm moving on before I create any more trouble. But you, you see the point? Every season is loaded with contrasts. If you stop and look at them, you'll see there's both good and bad in every season. But if you weren't careful, particularly in the dark seasons, you'll start thinking everything about this season is bad. Everything about this season is yuck. And it just simply isn't true. Hear me, guys. All sunshine and no rain creates a desert. We need both. So when you find yourself in a dark season, remember, God is in control. You may be confused, but he's not. He can bring good out of every season, and every season has both good and bad in it. Truth number five, and we'll get into our questions, is the sin. This is the huge one. This is the biggest one of all. The seeds I plant in one season will determine the harvest that I gather in the next season. Let me say that again. The seeds I plant in one season 
will determine the harvest I gather in another season. Here's how I like to say it. The way you respond to the season you're going through right now has a profound impact on the next season that you're going to go through. Does that make sense? I mean, every farmer knows if you sow seed properly and, and manage it faithfully in this season, then you'll reap a wonderful harvest in another season but if you don't sow the seed or care for the seed, there ain't no harvest. And so we have to be aware of the fact that the seeds we're planting now, the things we're doing now during this dark season has a profound impact on the season and seasons that are coming. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, KJV, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, here's another one of those if-thens, if we faint not. If you don't give up during the dark season, you plant good seeds, you get to reap a harvest in the season that comes. In other words, we have a choice when we're going through a dark season. This is earth. This isn't heaven. We're still on earth. Uh, stuff happens. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. When we're going through a difficult season, we have a choice whether this is going to be a stumbling block to our growth in Christ or it's going to be a stepping stone to the abundant life that Jesus promised. We get to choose. And the only difference is the seeds that we plant during this season. Is this stuff making sense? Is this resonating, guys? All right, so here's what I want to do in the rest of our time. I see the clock. We're going to dig into this. Um, I'll let you go eventually, okay? Uh, I hope this is meaningful. I think that there are four questions, and I've learned to do this in my life, and, and when I forget, I regret that I forgot it, and I go back and do it again. So there are four questions that I want you to capture, no matter what season you're in right now, and then as you go through the various seasons of life, four questions that will help you to navigate, particularly through the difficult seasons, but quite frankly, even through the victorious seasons, even in the mountaintop seasons, these are four questions that you need to apply. Question number one is, what is God trying to teach me in this season? What is God trying to teach me in this season? When it's a dark season, we don't ask what, we ask why. Is that human? Sure it is. I was, I was raised to believe that it was a sin to ask why. I can't find that in Scripture. I find great men and women of God who ask why, and God didn't zap them. He didn't lightning bolt them. I, I can't tell you it's a sin to do it. All I'll tell you is it's probably a waste of time. Instead of asking why am I going through this, why is this happening to me, ask what are you trying to teach me, Lord, about me? Have you figured out yet that there's some things in life that we just don't learn without experience? Do you hear like this? It's just true. I mean, take class, read a book, all that stuff, but there's some things you only learn through experience. Henry Ford was said to be asked one time uh, where business success comes from, and he answered experience. So then they asked, well, where does business failure come from? And he said the refusal to learn from your experience. Experience is part of it. I'll tell you guys, uh, most of what I know about being a pastor, I did not learn in Bible college or seminary. I'm not against education. I've been in school all my life. I'm educated to death. You know, 22 years of formal education. I'm smart. But most of what I learned about being a pastor, I learned from being a father, from being a husband, 
from paying attention to the lessons that he taught me as I pastored churches and as I dealt with people. That's, that's how we learn. It's through the seasons of life. That's true for the business person. That's true for the pastor. It's true for me. It's true for you. Now, here's what you need to know. God knows that. He understands that. And he also knows, lean into this, he also knows that one of the few things that you can take with you into heaven is your character. And so what he's doing in your life is not just giving you a golden ticket to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. He's helping you to develop Christ-like character, which has an impact on the rewards that you receive in eternity. And he knows that there are some things you're simply not going to learn from a sermon, no matter how wonderful Pastor Jim's sermons are. You're not going to learn them until you experience them. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house? He also knows that diamonds only form under pressure. So hear me, guys. God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. Oh, God, why am I going through this? I'm trying to help you build the character that will produce rewards forever. That's what he's doing. And so you lean into that and you ask God, what are you trying to teach me about me? That's why Moses said in Deuteronomy 11 too, I like the way the good news paraphrases it. Remember what you have learned about the Lord through what? Your experiences with him. Will you learn about the Lord from my sermons? Somebody say yes, please, please, please. Will you learn about the Lord from reading books? Sure, sure, sure. Will you learn about the Lord from sitting in a life group and having discussions? Yeah, absolutely. Will you learn about the Lord from, I could go down the list, listening to tapes and podcasts and all that, can, can you? But you know what you learn about the Lord mostly? It's from doing life with the Lord and paying attention to what he's doing in your life. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. I've got to move on to the other three questions, but this is huge. I want you to get this one big time. Um, God doesn't necessarily cause the hard times we face. Again, he set up that system of cause and effect. We make choices. There are consequences to those choices. Other people in our lives make choices, and we get caught up in the consequences of their choices sometimes. We didn't even make the choice. We're just caught in it. So God doesn't have to manufacture the hard times. He just allows them on purpose, and he loves us enough that his purpose is to help us develop character. Hear me, guys. God never wastes an experience. God never wastes a hurt. He turns every season into a school if you're willing to sign up and matriculate. Here's what that means to us. Ask any teachers. Got some teachers among us. Got some teachers here. God bless that hand. Oh man, thank you. Thank oh man, thank you. I had a teacher ask me to come one time as a resource person. I just came in from the Philippines. She said, "Would you come and speak to all of my classes one day about the Philippines and let them ask questions?" Sure. I spent six periods that day and went home and slept for a week. I've never been so exhausted in my life. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you to all the teachers that are among us and out there watching online. Thank you for who you are. Can we appreciate the teachers? Amen. Come on. But every teacher will tell you that part of the educational process includes testing. Testing is to help the teacher understand what you know, but it's also to help you understand what you know. Well, guess what? God's a teacher. And he allows tests to come into our lives, not for his information, because he already knows, for our information, so we'll know where we are, and here's how it works. If you pass the test, you get to go to the next level. 
Remember the seeds you planted this season? Affects the season, the next season. If you pass the test, you get to move on to another season. But if you fail the test, you get to take the test again. Now hear me. Most people don't change when they see the light. Most people change when they feel the heat. Oh, oh, oh. So the second time God allows the test, guess what he'll do? He'll crank the heat up just a little bit more because he wants you to pass the test. So when a test comes, instead of going, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this? Why am I in this season? Say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How can I cooperate with you during this season? You didn't cause it. I live in a sin-cursed world, but you allowed it, and you allowed it on purpose, and you want to bring good out of it. You want to make something beautiful out of it. So how can I cooperate with you? What are you trying to teach me? When you learn that lesson, you get to go to the next level. But there's another thing, there's an also in there that, that quite often our forgetter works better than our rememberer do, does, does. Am I right? So every one of us in this room have taken a test, passed the test, gone to the next level, forgot the lesson, and fell back into the old pattern. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It happens. We fall back into the old patterns. And that's why Moses didn't just say learn. What did he say? He said learn and remember. Because when we forget the past, we tend to repeat the mistakes of the past. That, 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 was, that was Israel's problem when they were wandering in the wilderness. They'd do a lap through the desert. God would take them through all kinds of tests. They would learn from those tests. They would pass those tests. They'd get to the gateway to the promised land, and they'd fail the test again, and they'd take another lap. <laughs> and they did seven laps in the desert over a 40-year period, and that whole generation failed the test. They never got into the promised land. It was the next generation that finally passed the test and got to get in. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want that for me. I don't want it for my family. So, so let's, let's not only pass the test, but let's capture the lessons that we've learned so that we don't repeat the same mistakes again and again and again and again. But whatever you learn, learn this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine, chapter one, verse nine. The apostle Paul is giving the litany of the tests that he went through: shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, all kinds of lessons that he had to learn, tests that he had to pass. And in verse 9, he ties it all together by saying this. Come on, read it with me. It's on the screens. Here we go. Out loud. One, two, three, go. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You can depend on your own strength if you want to. I'd rather depend on the one who can raise the dead. How about you? Anybody with me on that one? But to do that, you've got to pass the test, and you've got to remember the lessons that you got from that test. I beg you, I beg you, I beg you. Uh, don't wait until God is all you have to realize that God is all you need. I beg you not to do that. When our middle son, Adam, was 15, he's 37, 38 now, 30, 38 this month, last month, I should say, he was run over by a car. And uh, so Kim and I found ourselves in the hospital uh, uh, watching our son hang between life and death. He was in hospital for four months, multiple surgeries, lost him twice. They resuscitated him during that summer. 
if Kim and I learned anything from that experience, is that no matter what we face in this life, God is on our side. God is by our side. Come on. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Adam's back in the trauma center. They only allowed one person to go back there, so that was Kim. I'm out in the waiting room. A nurse comes in. Kim's sitting in the corner of the room. The nurse is working on my son, just caring for him. She hadn't even looked back to see, you know, pay attention to Kim. She'd never met her before. She didn't know who we were, didn't know we were pastoring. While she's working on Adam, she says, ma'am, I think I'm supposed to tell you that your son's going to be fine. This isn't really about him. This is Satan trying to attack your husband for something that he's doing, and he will not win. Satan will not win. We held on to that until Adam's fully recovered. 61235, <laughs> beautiful son and wife. God is good. God works in our lives. Hear me, guys. You can, yeah, come on. You can hear me tell that story. You can read stories like that in a book. You can be touched by it, but you will never learn it at the level that I learned it until you experience something kind of like it. Because when you go to the University of the Seasons of Life and get a graduate degree, you never forget those lessons. Question number one is what? What can I learn from this experience? With me? Not why, but what? Question number two is what can I enjoy in this season? What can I enjoy in this season? The biggest mistake we make in the difficult seasons of life is we buy into what I call when-then thinking. You know, when I finally get through this season, then I will finally be able to enjoy life. When I finally have this thing, then I'll be able to do this. And that when-then thinking keeps us stuck. Ecclesiastes 11.8, people ought to enjoy which day? every day of their lives. Frankly, to do anything else is to waste a day. And if I've learned anything over the years is that they pass really, really quickly. Have you figured that out yet? James chapter 4, verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. So don't Buy into the Lord. There's nothing to enjoy. In this season, I'm going to hunker down until it's over. Ask the question, what's something I can enjoy even while I'm going through this? The simple things of life. What can I enjoy today? Because at the end of the day, today is all I really have. Which leads me to the third question. What's the most important thing in this season of my life? What's the most important thing in this season? Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, act like people with good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every minute count. Come on, tell me what you really think, Paul. <laughs> Pastor Jim, paraphrase, life is time. So at any given moment, i got to ask myself, what's the most important thing I can do with my time? Time is the common denominator. I mean, we've talked a lot about money for the last four weeks, and it's, it's, it's the acid test of our faith, I said. But the reality is, you can get more money. You can take a second job. You can work overtime. You can print some. I mean, you can get more money. <laughs> but we all get 168 hours a week. We all get 24 hours a day. 
And so we've got to stop and ask ourselves, what's the most important thing I can do with the time that I have? I didn't say the easiest thing, and I didn't even say the most productive thing. That's deep. I don't have time to unpack it now. What I said was, what's the most important thing? If I can get personal again, we're just kind of getting to know each other, aren't we? I made a huge mistake early in my life. My dad died very young. He was 41, had his first heart attack at 36 and died at 41. I was 19 at the time. <clears throat> and I came away convinced, just entering the ministry at the time of his funeral, I, I came away convinced that I was going to die at 41. There was nothing you could say to change my mind. I knew it was going to be true, which meant I had 20 years to accomplish everything that I was going to accomplish in life and ministry. 20 years. That's all I got. Got to get it done. Uh, and so uh, it was in that context and in that time frame we pastored for a little while and, and then we went to the Philippines. And I was a driven human being. I spent 25 days a month during the dry season in the rainforest planting churches. Planted 50 churches before my 40th birthday. Why? Because I thought that's all the time I had. Started two Bible colleges before my 40th birthday. Why? Because I thought it was all the time I had. I was a driven human being. We came home to Virginia, planted community church, grew to 1,000 in the first seven years. Why? Because I was a driven human being. 100 hours a week, go after it, because all the time I got is this, it, 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 it's almost over. And then suddenly, I find myself sitting in the trauma center of Norfolk, General Hospital, and my son is hanging on to life, and none of it mattered at all. None of it mattered. All I could do was look at him in, in amazement at how fast he had grown up. All I could do was wonder how much I missed along the way because I was so driven. Not that those things aren't good. Not that I'm not even proud of some of those things in a hopefully appropriate kind of way. But I missed some of the best along the way. And I've had to deal with some real regrets. And I've worked through that with my sons and, and with my wife. And they honor me by forgiving me for some of those things. But the reality is I didn't do what I'm telling you to do in every season of life, no matter what that season looks like to you. Stop and ask yourself the question, what's the most important thing, i.e., what am I going to say no to in order to say yes to the more important stuff? Hello? If you don't do that, then you are going through the seasons of life. You're not growing through the seasons of life. You're just rushing around spinning plates never really getting anywhere, being exhausted all the time. you got to ask, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? What can I enjoy in this season, even though there's a bunch of junk going on? And what is the most important thing I can do? The Apostle Paul accomplished more than any of us ever dreamed, planted most of the churches in New Testament days, wrote 28% of the New Testament, most of the books in the New Testament. I mean, took the gospel all the way to Caesar's household. You talk about accomplishment, he did it all, but it was still Paul who wrote in Philippians 4, late in life, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance in. All I'm saying is i got to move on. 
Live in the season God has you in. Live in the season God has you in. Learn everything you can from it. Discover something in it that you can enjoy while going through it and prioritize the most important thing you can do during it. Today is not a rehearsal for the play of life that starts tomorrow. This is it. Question four, we'll bring this home. How can I serve during this season? How can I serve during this season? The Bible is clear. We're not put on this earth to live for ourselves and to consume everything ourselves. Ephesians 2 says we're created for good works in advance. One of the mistakes we make, especially in a tough season, is we start thinking, you know, I'm going to serve as soon as things settle down. Even in Victoria seasons, mountaintop seasons, our our career is soaring and we're making money and we're making deals and all kinds of things. You know, I'll serve when I get past this season. I'm kind of busy now, but, but when I get to the next season of life, I'll serve, but you need to understand, God didn't create us just to be served. He created us to serve, and if we don't find ways to serve in every season that we're in, then that lack of service becomes a ceiling to how far we can go. Your service is either the ceiling to your growth toward the abundant life, or it is the launching pad toward the abundant life you got to include this in the journey. How can I serve? Who can I serve? Where can I serve during this season? Proverbs 3, 27, whenever you're able, do good to people who need help. Back to Ecclesiastes eleven four. If you wait for perfect conditions, what? You'll never get anything done. Don't say amen. Say, oh, me. Put those two verses together, and here's what I come up with. Do what you can while you can with what you have in every season that you're in. Given the fact that we've only got one life, we've got to stop and ask ourselves every now and then, am I doing something with this one and only life that eternally matters? Remember, the seeds we plant in this season determines the harvest in the next, and that's not just this life. That's the forever life. The seeds we plant on earth determine the rewards in heaven. i got to close. As we walk through these different seasons over the next few weeks, I hope you'll make a special effort to be here. If you can't be here, I hope you'll watch online or get the, the videos afterwards. I hope you'll dig into this season with me. It, it probably is one of the most important series that I ever developed That's the reason I'm writing a book out of it, because I think it's just really critical stuff. I was amazed when I couldn't find a book on the subject out there. And so I'm writing that book. Hopefully it'll be out in a few months. But whatever season you're going through, ask yourself four questions. What are they? What can I learn? What can I enjoy? What's most important? How can I serve? Say it with me. What can I learn? What can I enjoy? What's most important? How can I serve? Remember the seeds you plant in this season. Determine the harvest you will reap in the seasons to come. I just don't know if that's true. I, I want to believe that's true. Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he rewards those who truly want to find him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you are that kind of God who gives us freedom of choice. You give us that liberty to, of self-determination. You gave us the ability to reason and to will and to choose. You created us in your image, and in that sense, we have intellect and will and reasoning. Only part of your creation that has that. We thank you for it. We understand the price for this freedom of choice. We understand the price for this freedom is that sometimes we make choices that have consequences we don't like, or sometimes other people make choices. Sometimes the culture we're in makes choices. We get caught up in those circumstances, whether we want it to or not. So thank you for being the kind of God who, even given that, works it all into a pattern for good if we'll just come to you. And so we're coming to you now, saying whatever season you're in right now, saying, Lord, I know there's some stuff in this season that I don't like. There's some stuff in this season that if I'll look for it, it's there. I like it. I could. So teach me to ask the questions. Pray with me, would you? You can do it silently, do it aloud, but let's just pray those questions. As you think about the season that you're in right now, Repeat after me if you want to. Pray it in your own words. I don't care, but let's, let's just pray these questions back to him. Lord, what, what are you trying to teach me about you, about me, about life? Lord, what, what can I enjoy during this season, even though it looks like man, there's just nothing out there to enjoy? Can you help me to set up my priorities in a way that I'm I'm not neglecting the most important things. And would you show me where you want me to serve, who you want me to serve, how you want me to serve, knowing that you created me for that purpose. Thank you, Father, for speaking to hearts all across this room, online, across the world. I thank you in Jesus' name for the way you're going to help us turn the seasons of our lives into stepping stones for the harvest that's coming. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for coming on this rainy kind of day. I'm so glad you've been here today. I hope you'll be with us throughout this season. If you know somebody going through a difficult season, bring them to church over the next few weeks. We're going to be very practical. We're going to help them to understand how they can process through those seasons. And we're going to point them to Jesus at the end of the day in every service. So come be a part of all of that, okay? Can we pray together? Father, thank you for bringing us together. Take us from this place. Keep us safe. Use us in the way that you made us and give us thanks and glory and, and gratitude and all the blessing that comes from it. At the end of the day, you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for coming to the bridge. Guests, stop by the VIP center. We got a gift for you.